Welcome to our Perimenopause What the F podcast, brought to you by the Perry community. In this podcast, your host, Rachel Hughes, talks everything, and we mean everything, perimenopause. She helps us navigate through all our What the F perimenopause moments and all, is this normal? Questions. Rachel talks with perimenopause experts, thought leaders, and inspirational voices of the community. To connect with other perimenopause warriors, download our free Perry app. You can find the link in our show notes. And now, let's dive right in. Hey everyone, this is Rachel Hughes of the Meno Memos here with another episode of Perry Talks, where we like to deep dive into all things perimenopause and menopause, bringing you the science and the sisterhood. Dr. Amanda Hansen, the midlife muse, is a clinical psychologist, coach, podcaster, and a midlife woman's guru. She's all about helping us work through the muck of trauma, onto the healing, and finally landing firmly and gracefully on our own two sensual, whole, dynamic feet. Dr. Hansen embodies all of it herself, and she's gonna help us propel our way to a revolutionary midlife where we finally know our worth. For future episodes, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. And now let's get started. Hello, Dr. Hansen. Hello. 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 So nice to see you. I, um, I, uh, yes, me too, Mildred. I, we were just sort of, people were gathering and I was entertaining people with my silly stories, but we're all very excited to meet you and spend this time with you. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Amanda Hansen. I was just asking people if they were familiar with you and your work and many are, some are not. Um, but I was going to follow it up by saying, you know, of course, yeah, well, I've been following you for a while and I, you're so, um, you're so woman in the most spectacular sense of the word. It's just, it's like this fusion of all of what we can be and I think think about being and strive to be and um, so thank you for being here welcome Dr. Amanda Hansen to the Perry community um, you are a a coach a psychologist clinical, clinical psychologist, psychologist yeah. clinical psychologist um, and uh, podcaster mm -hmm. and uh, we are happy to have you here. I have a slew of questions for you, but I thought we could just dive in with you sharing a bit about how you came. I know it's, this is just a big loaded introductory question, but I was thinking about the work you do now, coaching women specifically and the groups that you do. By the way, I have a friend who's in your current um, midlife master. Yeah. And, and she slid into my DMs and said, it's remarkable. It was after the first session, I believe. And she just was, she, I think she said something, I'm paraphrasing, but something like, this is going to be an extraordinary six months and I know my mm -hmm. life is going to change. So 
kudos to you. You should know that. And um, in the, the hour that we have with you here, I know we're going to sort of all up level by, by listening to you and being in your presence. So I'm guessing clinical psychology came first and then came this coaching program. And I wonder if you could just, um, I guess, sort of, you know, bring us along a bit down that path and let us know how you came to be doing the work you're doing now. Absolutely. Thank you first and foremost for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to share the energy and kind of the way I live my life and my thought processes around what this actually gets to look like, because we get to choose the narrative and the narratives that were available for women in midlife we're not serving me. And I noticed we're not serving most women. And so I decided what happens if we just, just rewrite our own ways forward. And because there aren't a lot of role models for what that looks like and what you described in the beginning, that like woman and that essence, I had to kind of piece her together and craft her out of my own desire for what I was looking for. So as they say, you know, when we need something in this life and it is not there, often we just build it, we just create it. And so that's what really the last 10 years has been for me. I was aching, aching for a role model that represented everything I was ravenous for. And I could not find her. I found bits and pieces of her in different women. And so I decided to become her. So that's mm -hmm. really my personal journey over the last 10 years. And in becoming her, also at the time working as a clinical psychologist, more and more women were wanting that feeling, that whole essence of what I was starting to embody. And so I decided at the time, to move my practice rather than one-on-one -on -one armchair psychology. While that did continue for a while, I started to open up my space and create more of a studio space and brought in more chairs and made it really sensual feeling. This was obviously way pre-COVID. And women would sign up for 10 to 12 weeks to six months of programming. And it would be anywhere from 10 women to 20 women at a time. And we would go through this foundational journey. And I was just teaching them essentially the heart and soul of what I was living. And also so much of it coming as a white woman through this lens of a lot of decolonization that I have done of myself, of the patriarchy, of white supremacy, and the way I was perpetuating it, the way I was playing a role in that. And also understanding that fundamentally that kind of had to be the ground level of this work because I was not interested in promoting white feminism. Um, that was really, really important to me. So trying to bring a deeper perspective to the work that I am doing, which felt unlike a lot of the work I saw happening in the world. And I also was not really typical, you know, I was not aligned with this idea of goddess I think goddess energy is beautiful and amazing, but it felt a little too ethereal for me. I really wanted to be grounded here in my real life. I didn't want to float away to another dimension. So I'm like, how, how do we live as queens of our lives, of our hearts, of our souls and our bodies and our families and the matriarchs and not flit away to some never, never land. And so I wanted it to have a more grounded presence as well in reality. Okay, that, <laughs> that is some start. Listen, I did not expect some of that. I, I, I just want to say one thing as well, that when I thought about you and prepped for this conversation, the words, yes, Mildred, me too. We were loving that. By the way, Dr. Hansen, let me just let you know that um, 
the community is encouraged to comment and question in the chats during our talk and I'll facilitate those for you so you don't have to worry about um, kind of reading reading yourself. Um, the word sensual came to mind repeatedly, just sort of going through your feed and responding to your posts that that was, that's clearly something that you're embodying and something that you're pulling out and, and working with, um, in your, in your practice. Um, when you talk about, um, the essence that you were looking for, what, what is that? What, what were you looking for? What were you hoping to bring to the fore? I was looking for a woman who had different stories to tell about what it meant to go through her midlife process. I was looking for a woman who still had a light in her eye and an encouragement and an excitement that did not come from nor was centered in the patriarchy. So I'm not interested. Do I like to pose and have sensual pictures? Yes, absolutely. Because I am a sensual woman to not capture that would not be to fully capture me. But there is a difference between a sensuality that comes from an embodied place that says, this is what it feels like to be around a woman who is so embodied, so self-approving, so self-loving not because of the external standards of what the world is telling her she should do or expecting from her, but how she is moving based on a really ancient wisdom that I think we've been very far removed from. Mm. So I'm very interested in the energy of creating this life journeying towards the crone that I am becoming. Everything I'm doing now is in service to the 90-year-old version of me who will look over her shoulder at that point and say, I'm so proud of you. Yes. I'm so proud that you didn't betray your soul or yourself or sell out in a way that would have been harmful um, in the work that you're doing for your daughter, for your sons, for yourself. So I wanted a different way. I saw a lot of women, you know, we hear that 50 and fabulous and all of those things. And it felt like it had such an exterior focus mm -hmm. to the work. Um, and so, you know, I remember there was even a commercial where Eva Longoria a couple of years ago it was a L'Oreal commercial, and she was talking about the concealer and cover up. And she was saying, because you're worth it. And I had this like really visceral response. And I'm like, but aren't we already worth it? Like, why do we have to wear the damn cover up to be worth it? Why do we have to hide the wrinkles? Why do we have to be ashamed of the sunspots? That is the life lived. That is the journey. So I'm not erasing or muting the history on my body. I, nor do I want my 19 year old daughter to turn and see a mom who's making everything go away mm. um, because there's so much beauty in this process and so much wisdom. And I, I want to live it. I want to see her in the mirror every single day. I'm not afraid. Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm struck. I'm not typically at a loss for words and I have so much here to ask you, but just listening to you is a real experience and people are just commenting. Yes. And I couldn't agree more. And it's very, <laughs> very powerful. Um, the decolonization piece, and I didn't mean to, to get into this, but so glad you brought it up and highlight it. Can you Share a bit more about that, what that was for you personally to mm -hmm. step into this work with women, all different kinds of women, mm -hmm. and clearly with a, um, a desire to have us, meaning uh, all women and specifically women 
like myself, women of color, uh, to, to, to see ourselves, to recognize ourselves. Can you talk about that a bit more? Absolutely. I think as a mother to children of color, I've been in activism. I've been in the work. I've been in the, the equity space for as long as I can remember. Um, and when I was starting to lean into this more feminine energy work, a lot of it I got into felt very misaligned in my soul and in my spirit. Like I'm like, oh, this, this does not feel right to me. It felt very white centered and that felt icky to me. And I was not finding myself, I was finding myself up against a lot of resistance and um, questioning and felt sometimes like the pot stirrer and mm. almost sometimes felt misunderstood that what we were doing felt dangerous to me because we were not including so much of the history of the women who've gone before us, who paved the way for us and black women in particular continuing, you know, and Latina women continuing to be the voice who've done so much of that legwork to get us to where we even are now and then not being acknowledged in that. And also this idea of this surface, it felt like surface level feminism to me. And so I started deconstructing for myself, removing myself from those spaces and, and started deconstructing for myself ways in which I may even be playing into it and really getting clear with how I was responsible for a different way forward. And again, having had that really front facing, very loud, unapologetic voice as an activist for so many years, it just felt like this is the right place to blend this work, to blend my activism and blend this feminine embodiment that I want to bring to the world. And so a lot of my spaces, I, I think women come in, white women in particular are shocked when they hear in the very first evening, as I shared in the, in the very first evening of the mastermind, that that is going to be at the, like the core, the heartbeat of all the work that we will do. And so I think for some of them, they don't even know what that means. And I'm freaking honored and excited to open that part. And hopefully they all, and I think I have a way that brings people in where you can't unsee these things. You can't not stretch your arms wider once you've worked with me, because there is no fear. Anytime we're afraid, I have a transgender child, I have a gay son. Anytime we're afraid of anything that is different that we haven't had proximity to, it's simply because we haven't had proximity to it. Once you have proximity, you're no longer afraid. There's nothing to fear in the, in the difference because actually there's more that's the same. And so I'm excited to be that voice um, for the women of the world. Powerful, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I'm curious about sort of what you saw, and you, you touched on this a bit, but in your practice, in your psychology practice, um, what you saw and heard from women that also helped to push you to do this work that you do. You had your own personal sort of input and experience, but I imagine you were hearing things sort of collectively or things that were certainly... Um, prompting you to come to come back at something with something different. Can you share a bit what that? Yes, was? absolutely. It's a great question. I think the general consensus, regardless of what the woman was going through, was an overall dissatisfaction for life. That somehow it felt like maybe it was supposed to be more beautiful. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> again, I think in a world where we have centered. Um, 
this to-do list, this forever never-ending to-do list, we have and earning worth and earning love and seeking outside of ourselves, we have not been able to or ever taught by our mothers or our grandmothers who did the best they could and were in a different time. They couldn't teach us because they weren't living it, how to give what they needed to themselves. So I, I noticed that so many of the women were in dissatisfying relationships, places of work in relationships with their own body. In so many ways, things were just feeling, <clears throat> I guess it was like, <clears throat> excuse me, this very subdued feeling for living. <clears throat> and so it was almost as if they were trying to catch a feeling. So women were numbing out or drinking, going into their pantry, watching endless Netflix, um, shopping on the internet, being gossipy about other women. Like everyone was trying to feel something and it, they were coming up empty. And then the next day you wake up and it's Groundhog Day all over again. So I was having a very different experience because of the, what I was creating internally, the way I was stoking my own fire. So I started, you know, offering suggestions to women, like, for example, for the next 30 days, I want you to go home after today's appointment. I want you to go home and begin a practice of dancing for yourself in the mirror every day for 30 days. And I want you to make eye contact with yourself. I want you to experience yourself. I want you to pay attention. And also in my, um, in my retreat, one of the things I have each woman do is I have this full length mirror in the center of the room. And I have her at one point in the very beginning, go up and give herself a dedication in the mirror and stand there for a few minutes. And we're all witnessing her. And what I realize is women never look in the mirror. They look in the mirror to make sure their mascara is not smudged, to make sure that hair is not out of the way, but they don't ever see themselves. They don't commune with themselves. So it's no wonder we're feeling like something's missing. We're missing. We are disconnected from ourselves completely. We are moving around in these robotic fashions in the world, and we're wondering why we're not feeling anything. Well, it's like, sisters, it all begins with you. How do you greet yourself in the morning? How do you pay reverence to another day of being alive. And I don't mean sitting and just being like, oh, I'm so grateful for another day. I'm talking about you in the mirror with yourself. My God, I have the chills. I feel like I'm in church. This is unbelievable. <laughs> Listen, I have a question. I have a question. I have done this. Uh, I have, I've sort of had a season of self-talk in the mirror. People are thrilled. <laughs> so I'm just looking at comments. This is incredible. The first thing I noticed about it was the discomfort mm -hmm. I experienced in looking at my own self in my own eyes in the mirror. It was very uncomfortable. Can you talk about, and I, I, I sort of worked, you know, that was a, that was a season and, and yes. it's something that I, I pick up periodically. However, can you um, sort of take us through what that exercise does, why you start there. Absolutely. Because we have been raised in this idea. I, I like to, I've created this, like these archetypes in my mind, right. To help explain it. I've created this archetype of the baby princess. Some will call her the wounded maiden. Um, and then there's the queen, which some may call like mother, right? Whether, and that doesn't mean mother as in you've had children or not, that part's irrelevant sure. because every woman has the potentiality of the universe within her. So I think that we cannot 
so, so we've been raised to seek, to just find that partner, yes. to get external validation approval for every aspect of our lives. We've not ever been taught or trained how to go within. And so we've anything have been taught that it's selfish. Don't be too full of yourself. Who do you think you are? All of these things, right? Which is fascinating. Um, and so, but then the real conundrum is we expect people to go out into the world, let's say women, <laughs> and have intimacy yeah. and have a relationship and bear everything and be vulnerable. Yet we cannot hold our own gaze in the mirror for three minutes. What? Wow. We yeah. can't see ourselves, yet we're expecting someone else to see us. It, it doesn't work like that. We begin with us. And so I have this practice for years now of meeting and greeting and honoring myself every morning and being able to hold all of the duality that is there. There's often heartbreak. There's often fear. There is often joy and overflowing excitement and gratitude and uncertainty. And I meet all of her there. And I hold the reverence in the space for that before I turn on my phone, before I talk to my partner, before I call my kids, before I see a client, because it starts, the energetic connection starts with me first, before I go depending on it from other people. Because we're the one and only thing we've ever actually got. We're the yes. one thing that we're always going to have to the very end. We came into this world with ourselves and we're going to leave with ourselves. People will always leave. People will always hurt us. People will always disappoint us. We get to keep coming back to our aligned selves over and over and over again. Beautiful. Thank you. Mm. Um, would you talk about power and sort of your response to what we know or what we, uh, what we hear, what we learn, what we learn <clears throat> as the midlife crisis mm, mm -hmm. and, and sort of, you know, what's happening? What's hap what, what is that all about? And how do we start to respond to that? Yes. I think when I really was Googling and understanding this whole midlife thing, <clears throat> I realized that when I barely finished typing in the word midlife, it finished the Google search for me and said midlife crisis. And I'm like, wow, is there not another alternative? What's happening here? And so much of what I found over and over and over again was it, this double standard in aging, which I won't get into too much. I mean, it probably goes without saying, right? There's so many things I can point to, but how men are revered in becoming more powerful as they age, they become more distinguished. They might become even more, there's more opportunities for them in their career, right? And there's, there's more established and sexy and all the different ways for a, and he can, and a man can have children, produce children for forever, we as women are, our fertility pieces fading. Our looks are now being considered that of old maid or, you know, hag or crone or, oh, you're going to, you know, are you going to touch up the grays? You're not going to let yourself go, are you? Right. And so there's even like a big New York Times article during COVID that, that was asking random men and women on the streets about their gray hair because salons were closed. Yes, and the yes, responses that they had received were so polar opposite. And so men become more powerful as they age. Women lose their power in the patriarchal standard. Right. And so I am here revolutionizing and reviving that matriarchal aging where there was a time where we sought leadership from women, where we went and circled up and sat with the elders to learn from them. And it was considered 
awe-inspiring. And these were the women we, we sought. And so I want to revive and bring that back because I think when we're, I, I feel like a lot of the standards are simply based on fertility and physical sure. signs of aging for women. Because aside from all of that, you know, there's this idea that women are unfuckable, unhirable, unlovable after a certain age. I even have women say to me, I really am miserable in my marriage. I want to get divorced, but who's going to ever want me now? And this idea of the woman's worth is only that which the person standing next to her, right? Like debunking and, and starting all over because most women I know who are currently in a long-term marriage who haven't renegotiated the standards of it are very unhappy, yeah, very deeply, profoundly unhappy and stay because they think that's as good as it gets. And why do you think that is? Yes, yes. Someone has said, this is just so true. Why do you, I mean, you've already, you've sort of led us down this path, but if you could just take a minute, why are so women, so many women that you've encountered unhappy in the relationships that they're Because in? they're not speak. First of all, they're not living authentically. They are not speaking for what they want. Women don't even know how to ask for what they want. In this first week of the mastermind, our homework this week in the Voxer chat is taking up space and practicing for what, asking what you need. And so I have them all coming in practicing, asking what they need from each other and from me specifically. And I have three examples that they're allowed to lean on because it sounds so basic, but women don't know how to ask for what they need. They don't even feel the right to negotiate the standards of their long-term marriage. I wouldn't even still be married at 26 years if I hadn't constantly around every corner renegotiated the standards of our marriage because I was evolving at such a rapid pace. Mm. The way we came into the marriage in our 20s was no longer serving me approaching 50, nor many times in between. We had to keep renegotiating, renegotiating. And that's like a contract, that's a decision. And sometimes the partner's not gonna be up for it, but, and then you have a decision to make, but there's so much fear in women about being alone. And I'm just so perplexed at like, I think there's a lot that has to do with finances. I think a lot of it has to do with how will I, how will I live alone? Will I will be lonely? What does it say about me in society? If I'm walking without a partner in the world, it's just so we have created like such a trap, such a prison yeah. for women. Yes. And it's so unhappy. Yeah. Women are so freaking unhappy and they stay and they settle. And my gosh, part of my job is the hope to set them free. And I don't necessarily equate setting free to divorce. I mean, setting free their soul so that yes. they can ask for what they need in their relationship. And if their partner is not able to provide it, then okay. The, the relationship has gone as far as it could go. That's okay. I don't necessarily believe we're meant to be with the same person our entire lives. It actually feels quite unnatural. If the person's not willing to evolve and grow with you, it's, it's time to part ways and call it good. Like I, I don't mean to belabor this particular point, but I do find it really significant because, um, I'm, I'm divorced, I'm remarried. So personally, my adult life has been impacted by my own growth and my own sort of changing and what doesn't feel right and what doesn't, and having gone through all of the things that you mentioned about fear, you know, what, what, the, ten, the top 10 fears have all come into play. But I also am a woman who knows many women who um, many of whom are in long, term relationships and really not happy for all of the reasons you you say and sometimes I do wonder and this isn't you know this isn't sort of like waiting for this to happen or hoping this happens or anything like that but I I 
think that women are actually so fine on their own and have like beyond fine, beyond fine, but we're so, um, we're so empathetic. We're so tapped into, we're so enmeshed in the patriarchy in standards that we've all grown up with and things that we just sort of take for granted that we are very, um, you know, impacted whether it's real or not by expectation or, you know, just by, by everyone around us. And so taking a step out of something or sort of even feeling okay alone or whatever that looks like is it's, it's a hurdle. It's a hurdle to get over. And sometimes I yes. think we, we probably wouldn't be, I think. We no, I think we've well. been really conditioned to believe that our value is in the relationships that we keep. And that is, a, that, that's really how we have enslaved women for all intents and purposes yes. into really dissatisfying places. And this belief that it's, it's okay. And it's time to start asking men for more. Mm. It's really, really important for us to start asking for more. Yes. I just want to take a look. Um, someone writes, I feel this is leaving its position as these newer awakening generations of women are evolving right now. Yes. I think it's a really interesting point. Things are changing and, yes. and they are evolving into something different. It will be interesting to see what happens in another generation. Um, and it okay. happens because we're having these conversations, yes. right? like giving each other the permission to ask for more, to take up yes. space. Yes. Um, and, and not to get off of what you said about expecting more from men, I couldn't agree more. And I would love to have you back to talk more about that sort of specifically uh, relationships. But I do want to uh, go, go on to another question, which is about um, being stuck. What, what, do you, what have you experienced? What have you observed it looks like in women? And how can we begin to get unstuck? Certainly conversations like this is, is a big step. Yes, I think getting unstuck begins by putting yourself in uncomfortable positions in different places in different conversations and circles, because doing what you've been doing will not create a different result. Mm -hmm. If you want a different result, if you want to get unstuck, you need to surround yourself in places in conversations with people um, in sisterhoods where people are moving. People are up-leveling. People are asking the hard questions. They're allowing themselves to get uncomfortable. And this work, again, in the mastermind, I was telling the women the other day that there are going to be so many times in this next six months, they are going to be so highly triggered. They are going to be pushed to their edges. And that is perfect. It is perfect because it means they've reached an edge that now they get to decide, am I going to go over that edge and rediscover or maybe discover for the first time, another aspect, another layer of myself. And so it is so important to me. My plan is until I take my final breath, I'm going out with like a book in the hand, a huge complicated conversation happening. And the other hand forever and forever, I never want to stop for myself, I'm constantly pushing my own edges. I never want to sit and being comfortable. It doesn't mean that I don't, I don't have a, I'm not comfortable with being content. Of course, I've got a beautiful, I can, I could live like this and be content forever, but I, I like to be challenged. I like to see how much further my soul, my brain, my capacity, my heart can expand. And so it is in those spaces you get unstuck, but you have to have courage. You have to have mm -hmm. bravery to step in to spaces like that, where you will be asked to look at your shadows and parts of yourself that you've hidden 
uh, and wrap it up. Thank you. I love that. Um, Healing, empowerment, embodiment, self-love. We hear these words a lot, but I wonder if you could take us through, I know this is, this is a lot, but if, if anything jumps out at you, um, what any of these words really mean Mm -hmm. and what is required of us to have it and to live it? Yes. So for the healing part, I have an entire month uh, at the beginning of this work that I do that we go back to 2000 years back. Right. And I take them on a journey because we have to understand where we came from and what we carry in our cells and in our nervous systems and our bloodstreams. That is not actually ours. It's been inherited. It's been passed down through the generations of women and patriarchy. So we have to understand how to heal that which is not fully ours and how it is impacting us unconsciously and the the way we move about our lives. So bringing that to consciousness. So we have to heal that piece, right? Um, And then there's also a form of healing that comes through self-approval and self-compassion that is really wildly important for things of our own past and granting ourselves that so that we can go to the net, we can release ourselves from the prison of constantly punishing ourselves about something that happened or that we did a choice we made. Um, Empowerment is not a word I'm fond of because I'm tired of us. It's like the contracted form of power. It's like, um, can I have a little bit, maybe just a little bit. It's like, can we just drop the in part and just say power? Mm. I, I want women to power is not a bad word power over others. The abuse of power is what is bad and wrong. That is not what women are doing when they're claiming themselves and their lives and their sovereignty. That is powerful. And we're not using in my spaces, the word empowerment, because I believe in power, female power, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I lead my family with my power, with my power and my emotional energetics. I am the matriarch. I can't do that from a little bit Mm. empowered place. No, I'm in power. And I won't apologize for it. And I want women to stop tiptoeing around and asking if they can have a slice of empowerment. It's like, no, you get the whole damn pie of power. Right, right. Power is nothing to be afraid of. Um, So yeah. And then what was the other word? Healing? Um, Embodiment and self-love. Yeah. Embodiment, I think is a misunderstood word. It's like, um, I think when you said at the very beginning, when you were describing me that I feel so woman- It's because I am living from my root chakra. I'm living from that space, you know, in my womb space. I'm so tapped in, even when I'm on my period, when I am feeling anxiety, when I am feeling intense emotion, when I was driving to the airport to pick my mother up last night, like I'm constantly aware of what my body, not my head, but my body is feeling about what's happening. And then I utilize all of my tools to either harness, to clear and release, to be witnessed in that feeling that I'm feeling. And so I think because I walk, I move, I speak in a way that is right now, the only thing happening is this conversation. Like Mm -hmm. I'm flying to the Bahamas in half an hour. I'm leaving. (laughs) Right. Oh my God. But I'm in this. I would never know. Yes. Right. So when you're yeah. living embodied, I'm not in the past. I'm not in the future. I'm right here right now. I see your eyelashes. I see your beautiful hair. I see the emotions on your face. I'm here with you. That's embodied. 
It's like right here, right now, what am I feeling? That's why so many times in this conversation, I got chills. I got a lump in my throat because I'm here. I'm paying attention to the visceral response that's happening. I'm not pushing it down. I'm not numbing it. I'm here. And that's how I live most of my life that to be embodied is to acknowledge everything that's happening and not try to mute any of it. Wow. Thank you. Okay. Um, sorry. I, that, this is, this is really quite a profound and exciting and dynamic conversation. I'm so glad that so many of us are here. Yes. We're applauding. <laughs> I'm so glad I have the chills too. This is just, um, you are helping us all get in motion. And I think that's very, very exciting and sort of always tapping into who we are and who we can be and sort of propelling us there is, is dynamic and specific and particular work. And we're grateful for you for, for bringing it to us. Um, what are, what are a few things you would want women to start doing for themselves today mm. um, to, to sort of upregulate their, their mental health, their self-esteem, um, you know, those first few steps to sort of see themselves mm. in, a, in a new light? Yes. You know, I know there's a lot of talk about pleasure in the world right now in, mm -hmm. in women's spaces. And I really think that I firmly believe that pleasure is the antidote for healing, for getting in touch with our femininity. And we have often been in such self-service to everyone else, serving, serving, serving. Um, and then if we do give, sometimes it's from this place of a really empty cup and then there's resentment. And so I think I give so generously and what I'm suggesting other women do because I take care of myself first. So every single day I find ways to be infused in pleasure. Sometimes it's simply just dancing for a few moments to a favorite song, like on full blast, or it's taking, you know, my, my evening and getting undressed and getting ready to like calm down for the evening, lighting literally 15 candles, not one, but 15 and creating a shrine in my room to myself, grabbing like a favorite book and turning my phone off because I'm no longer in service to anybody but myself. Right. Um, asking for what I need from my partner. Like, you know, tonight I really, I really could use a foot rub. Mm -hmm. I would love if you got the oil and just rubbed my feet, they're aching or taking, you know, evenings when I'm on my period, like getting my favorite tea and my heating pad and just like being so cozy in my favorite pajamas and just nurturing myself every day, finding pleasure. If somebody, you know, I was with a girlfriend last weekend and she poured champagne and just watching the like tiniest of bubbles. And I was smiling and she's like, what are you smiling about? And I'm like, look how beautiful those bubbles are. Like just being in the pleasure of the moment of the bubbles in the champagne glass. Like mm. how can we just, we can't feel pleasure or create it though, unless we slow down. And so we have to, as women find, we can find three minutes or five minutes in a day to find pleasure. If you take a piece of chocolate and you, you break off a piece of dark chocolate, maybe rather than chewing it, just let it sit on your tongue and melt. The sensations are unbelievable to feel the aliveness of that chocolate going down your throat. Like it's not hard. You know, I have feathers everywhere, like having feathers and just like 
feeling like the feather on my skin between calls and like bringing me into my femininity and like being playful. It doesn't take, it's not a vacation. It's not a new handbag. It's like right here. It's us. It's music. It's a poem. I have poetry books everywhere. I'll just randomly open and read a piece of poetry to myself and dedicate it to myself, not to someone else. You, you sound like you're living this high vibration kind of a life at all times. And I didn't think to ask you this before this moment, but I'm listening to you and I'm, I, I genuinely mean this, but how, what happens on the bad days? What happens in the bad moments or for anyone who's like, God, I, I, I would love to get there. I would love to pause and, you know, share a glass of champagne with my girlfriend and just admire the bubbles. And I feel so far away from that, you know, whatever it is, whatever the reason for the grumbling or the, what the pain or whatever, that's sort of keeping them buffered from this place. What, what is a bad day for you? I'll, I'll share a bad day. And, and I also want to preface it by saying I can only experience pleasure to this extent because I've known pain to this extent, mm-hmm. the pleasure and pain actually create almost the same sensation inside of the body. So it is impossible to pause and feel pleasure over something so small. So oh, feel so filled up and overwhelmed by two minutes of pleasure for myself. If I have not also been comfortable feeling all the pain and not numbing it and not pushing it down. You know, so about a month ago, I had, you know, we have a very diverse family. We have a lot going on at all times. We are running um, a lot of different energies. And my transgender child was up against a very tough situation and was home. You know, everyone was home from college over the summer. And um, it was two or three really, really profound and difficult hurdle of days, really intense. And, um, I had, I had been at the center of a lot of helping them move through it. And I called my husband, we were coming, my, I was coming home with my transgender son from somewhere. And I called, called my husband and I said, I need you to do something for me. I said, can you please draw all the shades in the bedroom, put the air condition on really cold, make it as dark as possible and just unmake the bed for me. I said, I, I have to get in it. And before I get in it, will you, I need you to witness me. And he was like, okay because he's, he knows how to do this. So he sat at the end of the bed. I got my, my, my teenager got settled and doing their thing. And actually they'd left the house at that point. And so I went in my room. I literally almost physically ripped my clothes off. I was raging. I was screaming and it was at a system Mm -hmm. who cannot see, Mm -hmm. right. The transgender human who needs medical care. And so I was raging. I was almost dry heaving. I was beside myself screaming. Snot was coming out of my nose. I was bawling. I was weeping. I was ripping like at the sheets and I was slamming at the pillows and I was crying and I was screaming. And I asked him, I don't want you to say a word. I need someone to witness this pain because it hurts so fucking bad. It hurts for my kid. It hurts for our family. It hurts for a world that so misunderstands what's happening to transgender youth. And so I needed to feel it. And that's happened a million times over on the way to the airport to pick my mother. God, love her up. 
because of ancestral things and unhealed pieces there. On the way to the airport last night, I said to him, I, I just need you to witness this. I need to clear this right now. And I said, and I cried and I said some things I needed to just say, because I didn't want to carry that energy into when I embraced her when she got off the plane. So I'm radically responsible for all of my pain, just yes. as I am for my pleasure. And I take care of it. It's nobody else's responsibility. Thank you so much for sharing that. And how you just ended was exactly what I was thinking the, the whole time, the whole of the story is there is a responsibility for yourself. Yeah. There is a care for yourself and an awareness of yourself. And I think also this is really important. And you, you spoke about this in the, in the beginning of the call, but creating space for yourself to just be and learn yourself in those moments is I think critical to moving us forward, if that makes sense. Um, thank you so much for sharing. I think it's gonna be really helpful to people. Um, I, I sort of got you off of um, what women might start to do today to step into their power. And I'm, I'm looking at the clock and I know, I know our time is up soon, but um, if you could just mention maybe two things that we could take with us uh, after this call and start to, I think dancing in front of the mirror is one huge one and a bigger deal than people might think it is. A really big deal, yeah. especially when you can do it with no clothes on. Yes. Oh, oh, yes. Yes. I wow. recommend every woman do a striptease for herself. Oh my gosh. In front of the mirror. Wow. It's so powerful. There may be resistance in the beginning and that's okay. There might be parts you don't want to look at. That's okay. Over time you will. Wow. There's nothing as powerful. Actually, when women are really in, in a bad way, it's often one of the homework assignments I give them. Really? It gets them, so, it gets them back into that feminine energy, kind of turn themselves back on for their aliveness rather than be so fixated on the thing that they are pissed off about or you know, feeling so disempowered about, especially when women are struggling with relationship stuff. I'm like, okay, sister, I'm taking your shoulders and turning you right back to that damn mirror. I want you to strip for yourself. And I don't want you to stop until you see what is happening and who you are. May I interrupt just for another moment, just to sort of clarify something in general or get something right rather in general. Is it particular of the feminine woman being to have a physical awareness of herself or sort of like a connection back to her body? We're so in our minds. Is that right? That's why we're so disconnected. I mean, even as much as I love yoga and meditation, those were both founded by men, men. or men. Women are not meant for stillness. We are meant to experience 3000 opposite emotions in one day. We are, we are, our thoughts quadruple that of a man's thoughts during the day. Our bodies literally, when we're cycling, our hormones change every seven days. And yet many of us are doing jobs where we sit in chairs, we sit still, we've become so masculine in the way mm. we live. We don't even we don't even move our bodies anymore. We think, you know, I had somebody comment on one of the uh, videos or pictures or something and said, um, oh my gosh, how many more times are you going to touch your hair? And I thought, oh, 
never, I'm never going to stop actually touching it because we don't see women like being and, and being like with themselves. Like we let other people touch us. But yes. Well, when you said the striptease, I thought, isn't that fascinating that we, that this would be an exercise in healing and growth is to strip tease for yourself and not strip tease for anyone else's gaze, specifically the gaze of men. That's really quite something. It's insanely powerful, insanely powerful. Um, Sorry, I did it again to you. Okay, I'm gonna move on because you've really answered this question several times. But so no, it's my fault. It's my fault. Um, sisterhood. What does sisterhood look like? Well, in the patriarchy, sisterhood looks like women feeling threatened and competitive against one another at all times, not feeling like they can trust each other um, because we grew up with the scarcity mentality that there's only so much love to go around. There's only so many jobs to have. There are only so many um, attractive people. There's only so much whatever, right? So in my world where we are playing with the energy of abundance, that there are seven and a half billion people in the world there are trillions of dollars. There is limitless love as there are grains of sand, blades of grass, snowflakes coming from the sky. We get to choose. I get to choose every single day when I wake up, if there's going to be abundance or scarcity in the way that I first and foremost see myself. So if I look in the mirror and I see scarcity, then that's all I'll be primed for all day in the world. I'll just see scarcity outside of myself. So I set my tone for abundance. These wrinkles aren't scarcity. These wrinkles are stories and journeys and amazing tears cried and beautiful loves had. So I don't see the world through scarcity. I see it through abundance. And when you are operating that way, all you see is abundance and sisterhood. So in my world, the way that I bring women together is that I don't need to blow out my light for your light to shine. Your light gets to sit next to mine and the other woman's next to hers, next to hers. And next thing we know, we have an entire room that is fully illuminated with so much light. And so we have to stop thinking we need to extinguish your power or your light so that I can shine brighter. There's no revolution for women at all if we are stepping on each other. Mm. We are going arm in arm and we are rising or we will stay stuck in the place that we have been for so long. And so I guide women into, you are going to feel so triggered by me over the next six months. You are going to feel so triggered by each other. And here's what we're going to do with that trigger. We're going to start mining for the gold because every time I feel triggered by another woman, it's because I want what she has. I want mm -hmm. her freedom. I want her liberation. I want her kind of relationship that she has. I want the way she loves her body. I want the way that she travels the world and doesn't ask for permission. Anytime I feel threatened, it's a guidepost saying, Amanda, that's something you want more of. So it's wow. never about the other woman. Like Eleanor Roosevelt says, yes. no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. If you feel mm. inferior, you've created that. So rather than feeling triggered, I always get super curious. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm feeling a little mm. bit of envy towards this woman. I'm so curious. Let me think, what is this about? And I sit with it. Ah, thank you so much. I think that's critical for women to sort of wrap themselves around because certainly we all, you know, we can all sort of get there, the conversation around patriarchy and why we might be, uh, you know, at issue or at odds with another woman. But I, I think, you know, we also, we've, we have, we have 
drunk the Kool-Aid as it were. And it, it's, it's hard to sort of peel back the layers and again, self-witness and sort of climb further down the hole uh, and, and find out what it's all about. Um, finally, finally, what do you ultimately in this moment want women to know? What is really the, I guess the, the, the soul of your work? That the love you have been waiting for, the permission, the feeling of being so fully seen in all aspects of who you are is you. Only you can give it to you. Only you can love yourself the way you've always wanted to be loved. No partner, no child, no job will ever fulfill you as much as you're able to when you know who you are. The greatest love and lover of my life is me. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Hansen. I don't want to let you go. I'm, I'm, um, really this was a, just a moving uh time and yeah i i think we're all a little bit kind of like okay ready to get to work and also a yeah. little sort of like oh my gosh this was quite quite something mm-hmm. i know we can find you on instagram you are the midlife muse we can find you on your website um how often do you do your mastermind course. Okay. So this is the last round of the mastermind, um, because I want accessibility to, there's only so many hours in a day and to carry the level of this mastermind and so many women through it is such a high energetic. So, um, my team and I, over the last several months have said, how do we make everything more accessible to more women around the world? Because I have an audience that is global. And so I'm so excited. Uh, this afternoon we're announcing one thing, one in-person event that's going to be happening in Miami in December. Um, And then there's going to be something announced next week that is going to be insanely accessible for women all over the world. And then in two weeks after that, something else, and we're leaking things until the end of December. And then I'm going to start announcing retreats in January. Oh, fantastic. You're in Florida. Is that right? I am. I'm outside of Miami. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping a book might be in your future um that i was going to ask you if you had any suggestions on reads for us but i'll save that for another time would you please come and speak with us again um next year i i there's so much more that you have to give and we um we want uh and yeah really just i i knew it would be lovely to meet you and um and it is, it is far beyond my expectations. So thank you so much, Dr. Hansen. Thank you so much, everybody here on the call today. I hope you have a safe and wonderful trip to the Bahamas. And um, I'm dragging this out because I really just love the game. <laughs> thank you so much. I know that we're just, we're all just sending you so much love and, and feeling it come back. So thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. Be well, everybody. Thank you. Thank Take you care. for having me. It's been thank my pleasure. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Thank you for listening to our Perimenopause What the F podcast. The perimenopause journey can be lonely and it doesn't have to be that way. Make sure to download our free Peri app to connect with perimenopause warriors in the same stage of life. 
See you next time, Perry Sisters.